Hey folks, it's Mike from Profiling Evil. I've been studying criminal behavior for more than 40 years, and one of my favorite research tools is Truthfinder. It's online, and you're not going to believe the information stored there. So if you want to know more about that new neighbor, your babysitter, or your online date, give Truthfinder a try. I'm including a special link below with special discount pricing, but you got to click the link and enter Evil 10 at checkout. Now, we're an affiliate, which means we get a small commission, but you can cancel at any time. Dr. Theodore A. Stern, a psychiatrist at Massachusetts General Hospital, taught that the key features of antisocial personality disorder are repetitive, unlawful acts, socially irresponsible behaviors, and a pervasive disregard for the rights of others. Stern believed that antisocial behavior develops sometime before the age of 15, And these individuals are so unconcerned with the feelings and rights of others that they, frankly, are morally bankrupt and they lack a sense of remorse. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Profiling Evil in the Academy Session, Season 3. Now, as we get started, I want to reach out and thank all of my university students. Thanks for being here, and to all the Profiling Evil members, especially the Academy members, thanks so much for your support. It's deeply appreciated, and I hope that you all will take time to hit that like and subscribe button and share Profiling Evil with all your friends. Now, today's discussion may cause you to reflect back on your own childhood or on the childhood that you've actually provided for your own children. I hope that your experience was good, but if it wasn't, I hope you found a way to rise above it and that you found a way to get happiness and peace in your life, all the while while being a productive member of society. Most serial predators that I interviewed or investigated over my career could be categorized and characterized as having antisocial personality traits. These people seem to lack the ability to project themselves into the feelings of others, and they're completely bankrupt in most cases of any feeling or empathy. I remember interviewing one such predator. This was a serial killer whose preferential victim was elderly women. At the conclusion of the several days of interviews that we had from his prison cell, our conversation turned to how he felt about his victims, now some 10 years later. I'm not sure what I expected him to say, but but I guess I hoped that he might somehow conjure up the words, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the pain I caused you. Well, let me paint a picture of what actually happened on that day. Again, we were sitting in the prison, and we were talking about his selection process. This guy preferred elderly women. So to lay a little groundwork, again, the predator would select elderly victims and gain entry into their home by using some kind of guise, like needing to use their phone, or he was there bidding on some yard work, or something to that effect. But once inside... This predator would attack these women in a blitz-style attack, almost immediately incapacitating them. And in most cases, he would then strangle his victims. 
But this is where things got really kind of creepy. After killing his victims, he would engage in all kinds of disgusting acts. Eventually, he would uh, clean them up, put them in their night clothes, and place them into their bed, cover them up to make it look like they had snugly fallen asleep. Family members, sometimes days later, would discover their deceased loved one in bed and assumed that they had only died in their sleep. Well, at the conclusion of our interviews, I asked this predator if he believed in a higher power and the hereafter. I guess I wanted to know how he felt about meeting his maker. He indicated that he did, which set me up for my next question for him, one in which I anticipated an answer on. When he said that he believed in the hereafter, I asked him, well, what would you say as you walk through the pearly gates of heaven and you met face-to-face one of those elderly women that you viciously murdered? He sat back in his chair and he contemplated the question. I mean, I could almost see his mind turning as he molded over and he thought about the question. And eventually, he leaned forward and he said, I guess I'd just have to say to them that I understand if you're angry with me for killing you. That that was it. Well, I thought I would give him a second chance at this redemptive question, and I rephrased it a little bit. This time I said, uh, okay, but let's assume that you truly feel remorse. You feel really bad for what you did. And you truly believe that a higher power is going to judge you for the crimes that you committed. What would you say to that same elderly woman who you brutally murdered? Again, he sat back and he contemplated the question. And after a few moments of thought, he responded, I guess I would say I can understand why you would be mad at me for killing you. I was blown away. I mean, what was it that this predator was unable to say? And I think each of you are uttering it to yourself right now as you're envisioning this exchange. Well, what he couldn't say was, I'm sorry. It just wasn't in this guy's vocabulary or in his psyche. He, like many other predators, lacked the ability to empathize. Many experts suggest that poverty is one of those big social environmental risk factors in crime. Now, this is not saying that the poor commit a crime, but the statistics kind of talk about this economic strain and childhood development, all of these things that kind of lead to crime and suggest that poverty can't be ignored as we look at crime. But experts suggest that the overall effect of poverty on human development is truly severe. Poverty has a strong connection to persistent, violent, offending, at least as measured by officials, victimization, and self-reporting data from both adults and juvenile offenders back this up. Another major risk factor of the origins of criminal behavior are who we hang out with, our peers, our peers and rejection, our association with antisocial peers. 
In a 2002 study on the topic, it was discovered that during adolescence, there's an increase in susceptibility to peer influences, while at the same time, there's an experienced decline in susceptibility to parental influence. In other words, bad apple peers have a stronger influence than good parents, good examples on future choices that are made by an individual. Now, these increased risk factors among peers can lead to rejection, uh, gender differences, rejection influences by gangs, deviant groups, uh, academic failure, all of these things. Early academic failure appears to set up this cascading series of events that increase risks for youth. For example, there was research done by a group, a, a group of f- folks led by Dodge and Pettit back in 2003. And it suggested that the retention or failure to be promoted in kindergarten and the early school grades has a long-term detrimental effect on mental and psychological development in spite of the immediate academic benefit of helping them by holding them back. In other words, According to the experts, holding a child back in kindergarten seems to be more dangerous than allowing them to simply graduate with their class and catch up during the following grades. Now, parenting and the family dynamic also have long been identified in criminal literature as a crucial factor in child and adolescent antisocial behavior, or the lack of it. The types of households kids come from, whether they're single Both parent, dysfunctional, functional, all have widespread results, but it boils down to the actual parenting that's going on inside the home. And I want to make it very clear at this point that I don't have any education to back up some of the things I'm saying. I've just spent a little time studying this, frankly, years studying it and trying to understand it. My information is coming from studying those experts in the field who really do know it, who have... Uh, that experience. They've weighed in with their own opinions based on research and experience. But as a police officer, I often walked away from troubled homes wondering if that kid inside had any chance of a successful life based on the start that they were given, or at least that I was observing. Well, hey folks, I'm pausing to share some concerns I have surrounding identity theft and fraud. I've learned a lot from our partner, Aura. They're the pros at protecting people from cyber predators. Aura provides identity theft protection, credit and fraud protection, and online and device security for you and your family. They taught me to think twice before answering those online questionnaires designed to steal our personal information. You know, it must be working because U.S. statistics show that 33% of us have been victimized by identity theft at an annual cost of more than $56 billion each year. Our protection plans come with around-the-clock support, a money-back guarantee, and a million-dollar theft policy. But here's the best part. You can try Aura for free by clicking on this special Profiling Evil link in the description down below. When you do, we get a small commission. But think about it. You insure your car and you insure your house. Don't you think it's time to insure your identity? Now let's get back to today's discussion. 
You know, there's a lot of discussion around the impact that parenting has on children. And all of my reading suggests that there are four primary parenting styles that might play into the antisocial personalities that are found in criminals. The four parental styles are identified as authoritarian, permissive, authoritative, and neglecting. In simple terms, the authoritarian intends to shape this child or control the child's life. Permissive parents have no control and extremely few restrictions. Authoritative parents try to be rational and apply reasonable restrictions, while neglecting parents are simply detached and unengaged in the child's life. Another factor that it oftentimes is ignored is this influence that siblings have on each other. An extensive conflict in the home might drive a child away from the family and toward a peer group, including peers that are deviant in nature. You know, there's a small but growing body of research that's beginning to demonstrate that the relationship between siblings often has a huge influence on the entire family, the atmosphere, the development, or frankly, the non-development of a problem or of behaviors or of substance abuse and delinquency. In that previous segment, we were talking about some of the psychological risk factors, including the lack of attachment the lack of empathy. We see animal cruelty, cognitive language deficiencies, and intelligence deficiencies, and delinquency. Well, over time, the antisocial person, according to the experts again, figures out how to get along in society to some degree. While antisocial personalities may not be able to project themselves into the feelings of others, superficially, they can be charming and engaging. I mean, this is the kind of guy that you'd be comfortable having a Coke with, yet beneath the facade is an individual who lives in a world that's filled with illegal activity, deceit, promiscuity, substance abuse, or assaultive behavior. People who engage in these short-term relationships, including uh, dating relationships, suddenly realize that they become very intense. And by by these intense, quick relationships, again, with these antisocial personalities, they miss out on the opportunity to observe an individual over time. That's the difference. When you and I sit with somebody who's a little off, after a few minutes of discussion, maybe a few hours, we start to see that there's some things that are wrong. We We miss that opportunity in some of these relationships to see how they react when things don't go their way or uh, or we get to kind of experience these forms of manipulation that, that these people exhibit in order to control other people's behavior. Now, over in the UK, the National Health Service offers some really interesting insights that I wanted to share into antisocial personality disorders. They start out by saying a person with antisocial personality disorder might exploit, manipulate, or violate the rights of others. They'll often show a lack of concern, lack of regret, no remorse about other people when they're in distress, and they behave irresponsibly in all kinds of weird situations. These individuals will have difficulty sustaining long-term relationships. 
They'll be unable to control their anger. They'll lack guilt for bad choices and decisions. This is the kind of person that doesn't learn from their mistakes, and they often blame others for all of the problems that they have in their life. Generally speaking, a person with antisocial personality disorder will have a history of uh, conduct disorder during childhood. Things like truancy, uh, delinquency, maybe committing crimes as substance abuse or petty theft or other disruptive and aggressive behaviors. But here's the real frightening facts. Criminal behaviors are a key feature of the disorder. And there's really high risk that someone with the disorder is going to commit crime and be imprisoned at some point in their life. Again, this is all based on this, the reading that I've done. <clears throat> now, the data suggests that men with antisocial personality traits have been found to be three to five times more likely than women to misuse drugs and alcohol. They also have an increased risk of dying prematurely because of reckless behavior, and in some cases, attempted suicide. They're more likely to have relationship problems during adulthood, and they can be unemployed and homeless as well. <laughs> but keep in mind that diagnosing someone as antisocial should only be done by a professional. Now, you might already be thinking of people who fit within these descriptions, but we're all cautioned to avoid labeling someone that way. Now, that said, be wise enough to recognize personality traits that make you feel uncomfortable or manipulated. And as you explore this issue further, it might make sense to compare and contrast the risks and the developmental challenges that you're seeing. Now, while understanding some of these principles might not help you understand who the next criminal is going to be, if you're dealing with someone who has been involved in those kinds of behaviors, it might help you better understand the individual. Now, listen, I hope you'll take time to enter your thoughts down below regarding this particular segment of the Profiling Evil Academy, Season 3. Make sure you're spending time to read over the comments of your peers, and where it's appropriate respond to them. Let's learn together. But remember, folks, keep it high level and respectful at all times. Again, I hope you're enjoying this season of three of Profiling Evil Academy and that you'll take a moment to share us with your friends. Make sure you're hitting that like and subscribe button, ringing that bell so you get all of the notifications on our videos. Thanks again for supporting us and we'll see you all soon at the next crime scene. Hey folks, it's Mike from Profiling Evil. I've been studying criminal behavior for more than 40 years and one of my favorite research tools is Truthfinder. It's online and you're not going to believe the information stored there. So if you want to know more about that new neighbor, your babysitter, or your online date, give Truthfinder a try. I'm including a special link below with special discount pricing, but you got to click the link and enter Evil 10 at checkout. Now, we're an affiliate, which means we get a small commission, but you can cancel at any time.